Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Robert Cooper, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mike. Very, very pleased to be uh, to be on the podcast and uh, looking forward to our discussion. Me too. Robert is president, CEO, and co-founder of Imbue, a Worcester Mass-based company that provides whole building intelligence and control solutions for multifamily, senior, and affordable housing. After two decades in high tech as a serial entrepreneur, Robert decided to follow his passions and use his experience and skills to do his part in helping to solve the climate crisis and improves people's lives. He zeroed in on the multifamily space where he recognized the huge opportunity to simultaneously reduce carbon emissions, improve residents' health, and comfort and the maintenance of these buildings, you know, making them easier and more efficient to run. Uh, think of about think about a view sort of as a company that builds systems for intelligent apartment buildings. And so, uh, Robert, I, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. I want to hear uh, all about Imbue. But before we jump into the company and the work that you do, uh, I'd love to to learn more about you and your story. So. Go back as far as you want, uh, share when you discovered your passion for the work that you do and maybe what inspired you to to pursue that work. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I, I grew up in New Zealand and um, I got to say, I'm going to go back a little bit further than I normally do in the in the personal history, just Great. Um, with, with the, the audience here. 
So uh, in high school, I was absolutely certain I was going to be an architect. And I went up to college and uh, got kind of hooked on computing and took about a 20-year, 25-year detour (laughs) into the high-tech industry um, that actually, you know, I really enjoyed. But I have to say, after a while, uh, I decided that I needed to follow uh, another passion of mine, which was uh, sustainability and, and action on climate change. And that gave me the opportunity to get back in the built environment. And I have to say, uh, I really love having technology that's in the real world and, and, and doing something more meaningful than uh, some of the work I was doing in the, in the high-tech industry. Now, um, as you mentioned in the, in the lead-up, um, you know, there is a huge opportunity that we found generally in the built environment, but specifically in certain market, market segments, and one of those is multifamily, where buildings were honestly pretty low tech. And we found that the kinds of skills that myself and my co-founders have had from the enterprise computing environment, designing computer systems that um, really people depend on, whether it's literally stock quotes at the New York Stock Exchange or or telephone exchanges or uh, chip fabs. That's some of the areas we were working in. Uh, Stuff that people rely on every day and stuff that involves data data that gets turned into information that just operates your business better. Those same themes in the last few years have really been um, applied in the built environment up and down the stack. And we found a really great opportunity in, in the multifamily and the apartment building environment where we felt there was still an unmet need uh, for the kinds of capabilities that we had. So that, that that's kind of where we were. Before we get into imbue, you have a background in technology and you've you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, you talked a little bit about stock quotes and data and that kind of thing. What were the the types of companies that you you founded and ran prior to imbue? So probably the big one was um, the most impactful for me was right out of grad school uh, with a professor I co-founded a company that did what was at the time called fault-tolerant distributed computing. We would probably call it cloud and edge computing today. And we sold that software, uh, literally it ran at the New York Stock Exchange. It ran at a bunch of places on Wall Street. It ran inside AMDs and TIs fabs. And it also ran in um, um, various telephone applications. And that was just a huge experience for me being able to apply my technical skills to something that was making a difference in somebody's business. that I didn't necessarily know about that business, but I think one of the things about an entrepreneur is you are a very good learner and you make very good use of exposure to new environments, new customers, and learn very rapidly to, to find opportunities and then find a way to exploit those opportunities and have that relationship with customers where they understand what you're trying to do and they value it and uh, and you build up that level of trust. And I think that really applies to any small business. It doesn't have to be a startup. Uh, I think that's really the common thread in you know founding and running a business. So when you did um, launch Imbue, was it um, you had exited from another company and you were looking for the next thing to do and you pursued you sort of went back to your roots and uh, discovered, rediscovered your interest in in buildings. What was the inspiration for this next this next chapter? So it was it was very intentional, and I put that in context because, like a lot of folks in high tech, I had had some unintentional uh, 
zigzags in the career, right? So at various points, there's tech up, up swings and down swings. Yeah. And so I've made different transitions within tech, you know, every five or six years or so, uh, you know, it's an acquisition, getting laid off, whatever it is, the usual sort of journey. I was in a, in a position at a, at a company supplying into the defense industry, and I realized there was a serious risk. I was actually going to retire at that, uh, at that place, and I wasn't that old at the time. Uh, and so I very intentionally decided where I was going to go, and it was, it was broadly in sustainability. Uh, I went off to night school, uh, which uh, in my case was Harvard Extension. Uh, I can't speak more highly of the Harvard Extension sustainability program. Uh, you can join that program from anywhere in the world, which is actually one of the amazing things about the people I met on that program. Uh, during that period, I then was actively, you know, looking for a new opportunity and, um, and, and found it with um, a small startup prior to Imbue. It was actually doing small, small buildings, you know, single family house um, energy management. Uh, and then in 2015, really, discovered, actually started listening to the people in the multifamily and apartment industry that had been kind of knocking on our door. And, and one of the things you are told to do in, in, in startup land is, you know, have that laser focus, right? Okay, we're focused on this market, so right. ignore what else is going on. But every now and then you need to listen to who's knocking on your door, maybe go talk to them. And that's what we did. Um, and we actually did cold emails and outreach to a number of leading folks in the industry and got an amazing set of callbacks, had meetings with those folks. Uh, some of them were with, were with very large companies that said, we love this idea, but just so you know, we're not going to be your first customer. And that's one thing that's very important about entrepreneurs in the built environment is, you know, you're not going to build what's often called minimum viable product, uh, which is sometimes, you know, two, two people in an Amazon Web Services account, you know. Right. Um, and put that in your building. So they they said, you know, we love you know we love this idea, but but you know go go find some other customers first, which we did, and we went back to them that same customer five years later and said, guess what, you're going to be our tenth customer. And sure enough, they they were. So that that was kind of the the impetus for getting it started. Voice to the customer visits, find out whether there's really something here, find out why they're not happy with whatever software they're using today, if they're using any, and then you know go off and build that product. Um, Yes, get get a, a minimum viable product into an extremely friendly customer uh, that really kind of lets you use their building as a lab. Uh, you have to find somebody like that. They're almost a partner really with you on that very first uh, experience. Um, get your track record going and then, you know, go to the right sized customer for you as a, as a startup. So you're going to find, um, you're going to find a customer that's not huge. Um, so that they can make decisions relatively quickly, um, but that also is visionary enough to want to try something new. Yeah. Often they've thought about the problem themselves and thought about the solution themselves, so their mind is prepared for what you're going to do. Later, you'll get into a go-to-market strategy where you are evangelizing the product to people that don't necessarily know they need it. But early on, you've got to do that sort of matchmaking find those early customers that are really leading customers. We've had some amazing customers that have actually stretched us in terms of the capabilities that that they wanted us to put into their buildings and those now become a standard part of that. Yeah, that's that's very interesting and and super valuable to any architect or or even non-architect who has has those ideas, right? Has a great idea for a company. Um 
what you just described is sort of the playbook on how to do it. And so I appreciate that. Um, tell me a little bit about what Imbue does. What What is uh, the company provide? Yeah, so as you said, it's a smart building platform for apartment buildings. So practically speaking, that means we're installing, or at least our partners are installing smart thermostats, other kinds of Internet of Things devices, various kinds of sensors, temperature, humidity, water leak, indoor air quality, window open close, uh, noise sensor. That's actually pretty important in certain certain flavors of multifamily like uh, short-term rental, um, as well as devices that will talk to any central equipment, central HVAC equipment that's in that building, so boilers, chillers, central heat pumps. We tie that all together with a very robust in-building network, and you can tell from our backgrounds it's going to be a robust network that you can depend on, and then connect that up to our, our, our cloud services. We actually do a certain amount of processing within the building. Um, that's super important because we're doing not just monitoring, but and those control loops need to be running in the building. So, you know, if the internet connection goes down, there's some other problem, we're still running the building uh, appropriately. But the bulk of our software runs in the cloud and then serves up a user interface on a smartphone, tablet, and web. So that's all kind of the nuts and bolts. And I, and I started that way because I, I think, uh, you know, I think the audience is probably wanting to know concretely what we do in the building. But let's try to figure out what, uh, why you would ever want to do Yeah. So if you think about multifamily, it is a unique um, segment of real estate, which has elements of commercial and residential. So it's commercial because we're making a B2B sale. Uh, these are professional companies that are running, you know, running an enterprise, running a, running a, running a business. It's got elements of residential, but it's rental. Um, and, it's, and you've got tenants and that's their home. So you're not just going to, walk into anybody's home to do what you know you may need to do in that property without 48 hours notice and a good reason. So if you think about the staff profile, and I'll get to climate change and energy in a minute, but let's start with, with the benefits for the staff. So they're sitting in the building um, and they know bad stuff is going on in the building. They know that the people that complain about stuff, uh, generally there's probably not a problem. And the people that have problems, major problems in their apartments probably aren't telling you about it until you find out because water's flooding into the apartment below. So it's a very, very frustrating environment. It's frustrating for the senior um, staff that are 60, even 70 years old that are aging out. It's frustrating for the, you know, 20-something that just got hired and he's got a plunger in one hand and a wrench in the other. He's like, well, why did I, what did I just do? What kind of job do I? So if you take those folks, both of them, and you give them a, you know, well, you take a smartphone you've already got, you put an app on it that gives them complete visibility uh, to everything that could be going wrong or is going wrong in that building. Uh, it's as literally a danger. I mean, we have, you know, we have an emo almost an emotional connection from our from our staff users with the platform. Um, they they practically want to hug us when they, <laughs> when they get the platform. Practically speaking, they say things like, you know, I can handle ninety percent of you know, too hot, too cold calls remotely. And I might be in the building. I might be at home. I might be at another site because we're pooling the staff in between other sites. Um, and I can solve those problems. That's really where the, the, the value of this platform is. And when you think about these kinds of devices, your first thought might have been smart home and those kinds of things. And that, that right. certainly is an amenity of value to the residents. Um, but it doesn't apply to every segment of my 
So we include student housing, senior housing, uh, private affordable housing uh, in our in our space, and 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 those folks aren't necessarily uh, wanting to pay more or wanting to necessarily, necessarily use smart smart home devices. But every one of those properties has staff in it that need need our product to do their jobs. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. Your client or your customer is the home, uh, is the the building owner, right? Is that that's who you're serving, or are you also serving uh, developers with new buildings? We do both. So oh. we sell to developers, we sell to owners, and we sell. I mean, even sell to managers. It really depends who is the decision maker on these projects. So we will go into. Um, you know, developer companies that are building, holding for two years, stabilizing, and then selling will go into, you know, buy and hold uh, or build and hold uh, owners. And, you know, the value product really carries across, you know, all of those. And because we are driving improved operating performance, lowering the operating expenses, we are increasing the asset value. So as you stabilize a new building, uh, maybe sell it after two years, we're a component of that stabilization value to the bottom line. So you save the building owner uh, money, you help the the staff do their job better, more efficiently. Um, what else does is, is Imbue doing in terms of impact? Yeah, so the, the big one and the one that got us into the space is energy income. There is uh, old energy hard buildings. We go into those buildings. Uh, we stop a lot of that waste by um, doing some controls in the thermostat by controlling the central equipment better. And what we find is that buildings that were chronically overheated, people were opening the windows, other people were cranking the heat up way too high and wasting energy. Afterwards, everybody is actually more comfortable. Um, the, the humidity levels in some of these overheated buildings is like 15%, which is like the desert. Uh, once you control the heat better, once people close windows, that humidity gets up where it should be, which, by the way, is safer from a viral transmission point of view, which we all care about today. Um, and and that, that's what we're doing in sort of those older energy. In brand new construction, particularly energy efficient construction, the the issue that is, there's a couple of ways that we are helping on the sustainability side. So one of them is that modern efficient construction, passive house construction, typically will require operable windows uh, for both resilience and just because it's it's a good thing. 
Um, and yet that's um, sort of defeating the purpose if they're misused um, of, of, you know, a very tight and, uh, and efficient building envelope. So in those newer buildings, we are doing two things. One of them is we have window open closing that can be configured to set the thermostat back if somebody opens it. One of the hallmarks of our product is how there's a lot of flexibility in the way the customer, the, the building owner, can um, adjust what happens when people use the thermostat, how much control they have over the thermostat. And in this particular case, when you open a window, we can configure it to set that thermostat back and then 100% lock it. Or we can configure it to set it back, and if you don't like it, you walk over the thermostat and you know kick the kick the temperature back up again on the heating season or down on the cooling season. And that's a choice that we give to the owner and manager, and they know their community uh, and they know what their community. Um, by the same token, in some senior housing properties, there are memory care units, and again, staff use our platform to lock the thermostat down and then only make changes that they make through using our app. And that's the best way for them to you know, manage. So that's, that's kind of number one in, in new buildings, that, that window open. The second one is that in these super efficient buildings, and as we think about electrification, uh, the real challenge isn't energy usage. That is to say the amount of energy you kill an hour. It's really when you're using it and, and, and that instantaneous usage of the kilowatts. So as we electrify, we're probably doubling the electricity flow from the building and the vehicle charge, et cetera. And so what you're able to do in any end unit building is shape that electrical load by, you know, tweaking thermostats up and down a little bit and by modifying some of the central equipment parameters. Um, we, can, we can sequence the order on which um, the equipment in different apartments turns on, so it's not all turning on at the same time. Um, and all of that allows the building to be a good citizen on the emerging smart grid uh, and get paid for it. We have one building we're particularly uh, proud of. It's our first building of this kind. Uh, it's not a new building, uh, but it's kind of not an old building either because it's a deep energy retro. So they're taking an older building, removing the through the wall air conditioning units, putting in new windows, improving the building fabric, all that kind of stuff, um, putting in a centralized heat pump system, uh, but actually leaving behind the hot water gas-fired, you know, thin tube radiator. And NU is making that decision in wintertime about whether to use heat pump heat or whether to use the, the, um, the uh, gas-fired hot water baseball. And, you know, one reason they did that is they had some concerns about whether the heat pumps would be able to keep up in wintertime. And I think a lot more people are thinking about that because at the time we're, we're having this discussion, we just had a very, very cold snap last weekend uh, in the Northeast US. Um, so that was the reason they thought about it. But actually what's going to happen is they're going to get paid by the electric company to go use the gas company's gas on weekends or weeks like that in the future and it's going to pay them it's going to keep their residents comfortable and it's going to help the grid ride through um these peak load events as they're called uh, that are going to happen in the middle of the winter so it's really a win-win story and it's really where smart building is and we're really excited about that project because we think there's going to be a ton of projects like that yeah it's very interesting how not only is it the equipment that is being installed and the software that's involved in the innovative ideas, but it's also these relationships with the 
municipalities and the energy companies to sort of try to make this intelligent balance between different fuels uh, is very interesting as well. And I can imagine that Imbue is a big piece of that, of being able to automate that switchover when necessary and can link up with the with the systems elsewhere that so when that system wants to shift it just happens automatically exactly that's exactly right so what are is that and that's interesting you said that's um sort of where things are going um how do you imagine imbue looks in the next you know three to five years which is you know it, uh it, it's hard to look beyond that because of the speed of of change that's happening so you know what's the future of imbue look like yeah, it's like one of those interview questions. Where do you expect to be in five years? Right. Um, so I think you know, I think it's it's it really is enabling these grid connected buildings, um, so that we're we're doing everything we already do today in terms of keeping people comfortable and in a healthy environment, uh, making it easier for the staff to manage these properties, but then. You know, really rolling out the smart grid, and you know, the grid and and the energy systems don't change that quickly. So I feel fairly confident that five years from now, we will have made a huge amount of progress in this space. Um, that you know, Imbue will be a major player in grid connected um, multifamily buildings, and I think the grid will have caught up with us by then. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Me, me, meaning that, meaning that you know, things do move slowly in the utility space. People are working really, really hard on this, uh, but there is a lot of um, infrastructure in place today that's that's was not designed for exactly the kind of balancing you're talking about. That yeah. Well, our our audience are primarily uh, small firm architects, um, lots of decision makers. Is there anything that um, our community can do to uh, influence their clients to look at the work that you do? Is there any um, uh, pathway to uh, to bring Imbue to their projects? Absolutely. I think as we've engaged, particularly with new construction projects or these major retrofit projects, we've learned you know, much more about the different players that influences the decision makers and so forth. So I think it's important to engage early on with the client and with their MEP engineer on the goals around sustainability and carbon footprint because a lot of decisions get made early that have um, that have a big influence on them in terms of you know window areas and building massing and things like that. At the same time, those same decisions get made around the electrical the electrical and the control in infrastructure in those buildings. So you might think about future proofing a building by having, you know, sufficient electrical infrastructure in there that you can support electrification in the future, even if it's not 100% electric today. Our kinds of technology, specifically in view, goes in very easily into any building, old or new. It's primarily wireless and it's very easy to install. So there really aren't a lot of requirements that you would do anything differently in the design of a building to support um, you know, to support what MU is doing. So I really think it's more about sensitizing the um, the client and their MEP engineer because they have some influence on how they just design conventions that they've used, making sure they're sort of aligned for where I see at least the environment going smart building. Every building is. 
Yeah. And it sounds like imbue allows that to happen where it's not very low friction to, to bring that system into any building. Uh, it's just a matter of making the, the building owner aware of it, show them the value of doing it both financially and sustainably. And, uh, and you, you know, when you, when you get every, uh, apartment building in the world, you know, starting with the, the, the country, but if you think about, it, if you take all of the building stock that we have throughout the world and bring in this technology that really is just plug and play, um, it can significantly reduce uh, carbon emissions and uh, climate change and all the other things that are happening uh, through our buildings. And so Imbue is certainly a, a, a way that we can uh, help the, the future of our planet through the built environment. Yeah, and I think there's a huge opportunity for you know, architecture, but, but just the, the design and construction industry in general, because of the pace of these deep energy retrofits that are going to happen. Um, they require a lot of thought and planning. Uh, they're large capital projects. They actually have a lot of similarity. They're, very, they're essentially rehab projects. Um, and if you look at the velocity of, you know, if you look at the, the, the existing building base, how many of those buildings will still be around in 2040, 2050, is there, there is going to be a big increase in work uh, for folks in the design and construction industry and, and, and really helping solve the, the, the climate crisis. So uh, as we wrap up here, Robert, I, I, um, I have a, an opportunity with you because you are a, a, a serial entrepreneur. You've, been, you've built businesses, you've sold businesses, you've, you've exited companies. Um, so this question is very, uh, interesting for me to hear your answer to, uh, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really a combination of the tactical and the strategic. Um, I heard a quote a while ago saying that an entrepreneur is a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. And you got to be a short-term pessimist because lots of you know lots of bad stuff can happen, and, and things that you know are bad in the short term can be you know company-ending events if you don't watch out for them. And so you may not get to the you know the, the long-term vision that you're going for. But if you don't have that long-term vision, I mean, why are we even doing it? <laughs> and it keeps you you know focused on that kind of long-term goal, and and really gets you up. His name is Robert Cooper. The company is Embue, so it's E-M-B-U-E. Uh, you can learn more about Embue at embue.com, embue.com. Uh, Robert, thank you for uh, for the work that you're doing with Embue uh, and and uh, pursuing this challenge of, of impacting the world through the work that you're doing with efficient buildings to, uh, to reduce climate change, to impact uh, carbon emissions throughout the world. Thank you for that dedication and uh, thank you for coming by here and sharing a little bit about Imbue and the work that you're doing at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much, Mark. I really enjoyed it. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review and share a link to this episode with a friend. I know I say this every episode, but I'd really love for you to send me some feedback, share a rating, write a review, however you want to do that. And please share a link to this episode with a friend. Just send it off in an email. Say, hey, 
take a listen to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. I appreciate it. Share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in this episode are available at the show notes for this episode and all the episodes can be found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast, entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. That's the media network that's dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you like this podcast, if you like Entree Architect podcast, I think you'll love all the podcasts at Gable Media. Go check them out at gablemedia.com. My name is Mark Arlapage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect podcast. I appreciate you. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. 
there is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.